Monday the 20th of November. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, the faithful departed were baptized into an eternal inheritance. Speed their entrance into everlasting communion with you. Have pity on those souls who have no one to pray for them. Draw them ever closer to your divine presence. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and may perpetual light shine upon them. Father of all who are perfectly just, and perfectly merciful. Remember your covenant with your children, that those souls who linger in purgatory for their purification may be swiftly drawn to perfect happiness with the saints in heaven. Pardon me. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. We continue through the month of the Holy Souls, where the Church reminds us to, in a special way, do what many of us do year-round, but to have a special focus on praying for our faithful departed. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has a video feed up and running at sunrisemorningshow.com. It's right there in the show notes if you want to check it out. Kevin Schmeising will take a look at this week in Catholic history. Dr. Christopher Jacoby is joining us from Catholic University of America with more research and uh, survey statistic on the uh, latest round of priests to be ordained, at least the round over the past few years. Uh, We'll talk about confession in the catechism and what the Church Fathers have to say about it with Father John Gavin and then Father Patrick Briscoe uh, from Our Sunday Visitor. We got a a Jesuit on, we got to give the Dominicans equal time. And uh, Father Patrick will be on to talk about uh, how Catholics can respond to growing anti-Semitism. Seems to be popping up all over the place these days. And uh, yeah, that's not uh, that's not that's not how we do around here. Two minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning, former First Lady Rosalind Carter, the wife of the nation's 39th president, has died. The Carter Center announced she passed away yesterday afternoon at the age of 96 at her home in Plains, Georgia. She married Jimmy Carter in 1946. They were married for 77 years. As First Lady, she was an active part of the administration, serving as the president's personal emissary to Latin American countries and even sitting in on cabinet meetings. She focused her advocacy on performing arts and improving mental health programs. The U.S. is brokering a deal with Israel and Hamas to pause the war in Gaza and allow some hostages to be freed. People familiar with the negotiations tell the Washington Post that Israel and Hamas are close to an agreement and that dozens of women and children currently held in Gaza could start being released within the next several days. The report says the six-page deal would require Israel and Hamas to freeze combat operations for at least five days while up to 50 hostages are released in small groups every 24 hours. The pause would also allow for humanitarian aid to enter Gaza. Meanwhile, Pope Francis plans to meet with families of Israelis being held hostage, as well as with family members of Palestinians who are in Gaza. 
Mark Mayfield reports. The Vatican announced the meetings will be held separately and both will take place this Wednesday after a general audience with the Pope. A Holy See spokesperson said the meetings are of an exclusively humanitarian nature. The spokesperson added that the Pope's objective is to express his spiritual closeness to the suffering of each individual. I'm Mark Mayfield. Pope Francis celebrated Mass yesterday for the World Day of the Poor. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. In his homily during the Mass for the World Day of the Poor, Pope Francis reflected on two aspects of the Sunday Gospel reading recounting the parable of the talents the journey of Jesus, and the journey of our own lives. Describing the journey of Jesus in his incarnation, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, Pope Francis said Jesus has left us his wealth, recalling the Eucharist, his words of life, his Holy Mother to be our Mother, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He explained how all these gifts or talents are freely offered so that we can continue his work on earth in our own personal mission that the Lord entrusts to us in our daily lives, in society and in the church. The journey of Jesus will continue at the end of time when he returns in glory, the Pope recalled, in order to settle the accounts of history and bring us into the joy of eternal life. And it's therefore important that we ask ourselves, in what state will the Lord find us when he returns? Pope said, we've received from the Lord the gift of his love and we're called to become a gift for others. The love with which Jesus cared for us, the balm of his mercy, the compassion with which he tended our wounds, the flame of the Spirit by which he filled our hearts with joy and hope. The Pope said, all these are treasures that we cannot simply keep to ourselves. Recalling the great suffering in our world and the scandal of widespread poverty, the Pope explained how today's gospel speaks loudly and clearly that we must spread the wealth of charity. The Pope said when we think of the immense numbers of the poor in our midst, the message of today's gospel is clear. Let us not bury the wealth of the Lord. Let us spread the wealth of charity, share our bread, and multiply love. I'm Thaddeus Jones. Iceland is bracing for a major volcanic eruption. All 3,800 residents from a town have been forced to evacuate. This is the small town of Grindavik after a huge crack in the earth began to spread last week. The seismic activity triggered hundreds of earthquakes and tremors in the region. And from jiggly jello molds to green bean casseroles, the TSA is letting you know which Thanksgiving foods can fly with you this holiday. While most foods can be carried through airport checkpoints, some need to be checked into baggage. TSA officials say if it's solid, like baked goods, meats, stuffing, or casseroles, it can go through a checkpoint. If you can spill it, spread it, spray it, pump it, or pour it, and it's larger than 3.4 ounces, then it needs to go in a checked bag, Matt. So practically speaking, I can only see the need for this in some very rare cases. So for instance... You're getting on a flight and going straight to dinner. Well, if you're getting on a flight at all, I can only see it necessary in certain cases. So for instance... It would not make sense for me to try and bring crab dip on an airplane from Maryland to uh, a family gathering in Tennessee. However, it would make sense to bring some Old Bay, right? Not that they can't get it in the grocery store there, but like some kind – there would be things that you could bring that would be like a regional – I packed Skyline Chili in the bag when I went to go see Adam Wright. Right. When I lost the bet over the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. And Covenant Network won chili out of me. Yeah. 
I checked it. Sure. There was no need for me to carry on a can of Skyline. I know, but why wouldn't you take cans of Skyline? crab dip to and some oyster Tennessee? Crackers. Well, I might because I'm driving this year. Oh, but why wouldn't you fly it? I mean, you have to cold pack it. Like, well, I mean, I guess if you, you really could. like, you know, if you're if you have the famous Jello mold in the family, like, are you gonna give that well, up but to yeah, you someone can bring else? The Jello mold and then make the Jello on. Site. Yeah, but what if you're getting off the plane and going straight to dinner? You don't have time for that Jello to set. Uh, I feel like the Jello would unset on the plane. You got a cold packet. There are these are important matters, Matt. You have I the famous so. Jello mold in the family, or actually, you know, why am I taking advice from you? You've never left pie. Cincinnati for Thanksgiving ever, it's, to my knowledge. That's true. I never have. <laughs> like literally, everybody you're related to lives I'm in just the same town. Spitball in here, Matt. Come on, I'm just. I'm don't just try trying to, to. I'm trying to. Don't channel, try to understand my dilemmas. Here. I'm trying to channel the the Thanksgiving traveler. See, this is why it's nice to have. I mean, I have family out of town. I've got two siblings in New York City and another one. Yeah, but they're coming back to Cincinnati, in Columbus, Ohio. Probably. Well, not for Thanksgiving, sadly. Oh, not. But oh. they'll be here for Christmas. They got a big parade. They got to look out their they'll window and see. They'll be home for Christmas. Indeed. It's so exciting that we're looking ahead to that time, not because it, you know. Well, there are a lot of things to look forward to. There are a lot of things to look forward to. Hey, I threw a, uh, threw a little question out of the YouTube chat. Maybe I'll throw it on Facebook, Facebook too. Uh, with just a couple days on the air live this week, I want to know who, which Sunrise Morning Show regular guests people are especially thankful for Ooh. this year. I'll share mine. You be thinking of yours. Okay, I'll in a think minute. about it. Sounds good. It's nine minutes past the hour. Let's take a look at this week in Catholic history with Kevin Schmeising, who is the author of A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Matt. There is a lot of Louisiana Catholic history to discuss. Which piece are we discussing today? There sure is. Today we're looking at the founding of the Sisters of the Holy Family in 1842. And the story of the Sisters is in large part the story of one of our Americans on the path to sainthood, Venerable Henriette de Lille. Henriette was born in 1812 as a free black in New Orleans. She and her friends, Juliette Gaudin, Josephine Charles, and Suzanne Navarre, devoted themselves to teaching slave children. They enjoyed the support of a white French woman, Marie-Jean Alicot, as well as a priest, Father Etienne Roussillon, who was the founding pastor of New Orleans' well-known African-American parish, St. Augustine. On November 21st, this week in 1842, Henriette and her collaborators formed the Sisters of the Holy Family. This was the second American religious order open to women of African descent. The first one was Baltimore's Oblates of Providence. We've covered them in the past. The Sisters of the Holy Family had to deal with particular challenges in the racially charged atmosphere of that time and place. Their instruction of slave children was illegal. And for the first few years, the bishop wouldn't permit them to take public vows or wear habits in public. One of the congregation's first projects was the Hospice of the Holy Family, where they cared for the impoverished, sick, and elderly. It still exists today under a different name. Henriette de Lille died in 1862. She was declared venerable in 2010. Eventually, <clears throat> the Sisters of the Holy Family spread around the U.S. and abroad with missions in Belize and Nigeria. Though in recent years they've suffered from declining numbers, as so many religious orders have, they've continued to be dedicated to their founding purposes of education and care for the sick and dying. The Sisters of the Holy Family founded in New Orleans this week in 1842. 
Well, let's move halfway across the world. I know a lot of people are familiar with the Rock of Gibraltar, may not be familiar with the idea that there is a diocese of Gibraltar. There is. It's one of the world's smaller dioceses in one of the world's more unusual geographic locations. The Diocese of Gibraltar, founded this week in 1910, that seems late for a European diocese, and there are historical reasons for that. Gibraltar is a peninsula off the southern coast of Spain. It juts into the Mediterranean Sea, and much of it is made up of a mountain, as you indicated, the famous Rock of Gibraltar. This area was Muslim for much of the Middle Ages. The word Gibraltar, in fact, is derived from an Arabic name. Then it was part of Spain, and so the sparsely populated peninsula belonged to the Diocese of Cadiz. In the early 1700s, however, as a result of the continuing wars among the various European powers, Gibraltar became a possession of the British Empire. And despite squabbling over its status between Spain and England during the 20th century, <clears throat> it remains part of Britain to this day. Normally, diocesan boundaries do not cross national boundaries, so eventually in 1816 it became its own vicariate apostolic. I came across an interesting episode, Matt, that took place during this vicariate period. In the 1870s, the vicar apostolic got involved in a contentious debate over British tobacco policy in Gibraltar. This antagonized a wealthy and influential group of Catholics, and so when that bishop died, his loyal assistant was appointed as his successor, and this disaffected group objected to the point of occupying the cathedral and refusing admittance to the new bishop. The police had to be called, and they ended up arresting about 50 people. Things had settled down by 1910, when this week, November 19th, the vicariate was raised to the rank of a diocese, and a British Benedictine, Henry Thompson, became its first diocesan bishop. The total population of Gibraltar today is about 35,000, of whom 25,000 are Catholic. The diocese encompasses five parishes, including the Shrine of Our Lady of Europe, the patroness of Gibraltar, and the Cathedral of Mary Crown, a church that dates back to the Spanish period in the 16th century. The Diocese of Gibraltar, this week, 1910. Well, Kevin, when you said you were going to talk about the establishment of a 20th century diocese, I thought you were just going to talk about paperwork. That is significantly more dramatic than that. <laughs> wow, what a story. Uh, and what a cool kind of insight into a very, very small but focused diocese with a very quirky history. Uh, we've got right. you linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. I encourage people to go check out your book, A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History, as well as the Catholic History Trek podcast. Kevin, thank you as always. Have a great day. Thanks, Matt. You too. All right, let's check on weather, as many of you are planning to travel to various places this week. Looks like an area of low pressure starts off the week, making its way into the plains and central Rockies. Could bring some rough weather to both regions. On the colder side of that storm, moderate to heavy snow will be in the peaks of Colorado, with several inches of accumulation reaching the I-25 quarter by the afternoon. So please do be careful if that is your path. Meanwhile, it's going to be a lot less wintry across the plains and Mississippi Valley, which is good because it's still fall. Rain and thunderstorms will spread from Kansas to Illinois, with a few severe thunderstorms likely in the lower Mississippi Valley. Heavy rain and damaging winds with some of those storms, particularly in the evening. Two areas of high pressure on each of the coasts. For the eastern seaboard, sunshine through the morning and early afternoon. That'll give way to increasing clouds ahead of an approaching storm system. At the same time, high pressure starts to build in the west, meaning dry weather after a stormy weekend. So, a lot of you not heading out quite yet today, but uh, that's a little outlook for your work week. Headlines next, it's 16 past. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. 
Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. I don't like looking back. I prefer to look forward and keep moving forward. There's plenty to cover. I do a lot of research and try to dig out the bits and pieces of a life or of an agenda that people don't want to talk about. The World Over with Raymond Arroyo. Thursday night, 8 Eastern, on EWTN Radio and Television. Seventeen past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter, the wife of the nation's 39th president, has died at age 96. Pope Francis plans to meet with families of Israelis held hostage, as well as with family members of Palestinians who are in Gaza. And the Holy Father yesterday celebrated Mass for the World Day of the Poor. News at the top of bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. <clears throat> As we pay for, pray for all the faithful departed that through the mercy of God uh, they would rest in peace. You know, it is fascinating that, you know, I, there are all kinds of different opinions on Jimmy Carter and his presidency and his politics and all that. But it seems to me, and I don't know if you saw this uh, through the course of, of these past several months where they've both been ill and on the kind of a swift decline. Yeah. That people almost universally seem to appreciate the fact that people were married for as long as yeah. these two were married, and there are there are a bunch of different ways. Seven years. Yeah, there are a bunch of different ways to, to talk about that and think about that. Uh, but I can tell you that if people look across the landscape of American politics in the present day, like I don't think anybody would say, "Oh." There'll be another Jimmy Carter and Ro- Rosalind Carter here coming along soon, and they'll be married for 77 years also. Like, wow. you don't – it's a very r- rare thing in the world of famous people yeah. for this kind of thing to happen. Um, well, it seems anymore it's just a rare thing. I mean, well, like, my parents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary this past year. That's and, pretty impressive. I mean, and and yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. I celebrated my 10th wedding anniversary this past year, and I feel like that's kind of impressive in some ways. Well, I, 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 
I want to think about this a little bit because in some ways we kind of tend to think that uh, America doesn't value marriage anymore. We're just kind of into ourselves. And then something like this kind of goes. And I think that there are a lot of people who are like, man, I wish I wish that were my situation or I wish I had someone in my life yeah. who, who was in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the same way I saw somebody on a friend on Facebook mention that, you know, she's five kids in now and and how like amazed people are in a good way when she's, you know, going to the grocery store or whatever with those five kids. I think and people I th- deep down kind of want yeah. some some. I think there's a desire there. Absolutely. Well, because God placed that in our heart. He made us for communion. Well, so in of a course cynical, it's there. In a cynical world of politics and everything, we want to have people who will get our agendas across. But I think deep down, people also want, well, it's kind of like in Catholicism. People want the truth, but they also want it to come from people who are trying to do good things in their personal yeah. lives. Yeah. So. It's true. Well, may the souls of the failed departed rest in peace. Owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. If you like statistics, here are a few interesting ones about the Bible. You may know that the Old Testament contains 46 books, but did you know that within those books there are 1,070 chapters and almost 28,000 verses? The New Testament, by comparison, contains nearly 8,000 verses. The Psalms are by far the longest book in the Old Testament, but then comes Sirach with 1,300 verses nearly, followed closely by Jeremiah, and Isaiah places forth with 1,200 verses. In the New Testament, The longest book is Luke, with 1,151 verses. And the briefest book in the Bible is the second letter of John, with just 13 verses. As interesting as these statistics might be, the most important thing to remember is that these verses, whether we count them in the thousands or just one by one, all serve as a window to God. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Dr. Christopher Jacoby. He's a researcher with the Catholic Project at Catholic University of America. Dr. Jacoby, welcome back to the show. Good morning. Thank you for your continued interest in the priesthood study. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to get to talk to you some more about this. So listeners will remember, I think it was last year, uh, the Catholic Project's major survey or study of, of priests in the United States covered a lot of topics. You did a whole series with us 
on um, all of these things when it as it came to like their mental health, their relationship with their bishops, their parishioners, and and the like. And there has since been some further digging into the findings. And we're going to spend a few weeks together unpacking um, what you've done most recently. But just first of all, why don't you tell us what those areas are that that you started to dig a little further? Yes. So um, the focus of the second report that we released earlier this month is um, relating to polarization, generational dynamics, and the ongoing impact of the church crisis and especially on polarization as um, relating to um, theological and political um, views and attitudes and how they've been changing historically and also how older and younger priests differ on these political theological attitudes and um, how that is affecting um, priest trust in their bishops as well so these are the three teams well it got a lot of play when it was first coming out a lot of people talking about this um priests yes. and po- priests and polarization i can't imagine why catholics would be so interested in this but of course we have we have so much polarization in right. our society all around the world really but um you know those of us here in the united states certainly have seen a lot of polarization in in politics but also in the church uh, theologically as well. So um, how did you look at this question with priests? Yes, so um, the way we measure this is their um, self-described attitude. So we ask them to rate their views on most matters having to do with theology and doctrines, and we had a scale that uh, goes from very progressive to a very conservative orthodox. So... um, there are five response categories, very progressive, somewhat progressive, middle of the road, conservative, orthodox, or very conservative, very orthodox. And we asked them a very similar question about their political orientation. So it's, it's always how they see themselves on these two dimensions. All right. So how do they see themselves? What did you what did you learn? Yeah, we really witnessed a major historic change in that there's been a steady increase in the number of um, what. Well, it's a snapshot of data. So as, as we look at uh, comparing younger to older priests, we see a steady uh, increase among the younger priests and the number of priests who are conservative. So starting in the 70s or after the Second Vatican Council, um, younger priests are dramatically more likely to see themselves as conservative or very conservative on matters relating to theology and doctrine. And so to give you a number here, um, from the youngest ordination group, so maybe 2020 or later, it's over 80% of priests that see themselves as conservative or very conservative, and um, the remainder of priests sees um, himself as middle of the road. So there's virtually no one in the youngest ordination group who is very progressive, and only a very small share of uh, priests who see themselves as somewhat progressive. So, And that's a dramatic change historically. Um, in the 60s to 70s, um, actually progressive was the dominant group. Um, eight, over 80% of priests were um, progressive or middle of the road, and only 20% of priests saw themselves as um, um, conservative. So it's really a re- reversal, which is very rare to see kind of in social science research um, of a trend here over over the generations. But but this is um, looking at uh, a snapshot of the priesthood today. So it's not comparing priests who are 20, uh, 20 years old or 30 years old um, 
back in back in the day, but it, it's looking at priests today and comparing the younger to the older priests. So young priests are extremely conservative, so to say, and the old priests are uh, much more likely to uh, see themselves as um, progressive. So so that's that's a way of um, um, describing polarization there. But uh, there's also not so much polarization if, if we think about just the, the recent statistics of who is becoming a priest, right? Virtually all of them are conservative. So in that sense, um, polarization is declining, uh, so to say. Yeah. Yeah, what I thought was interesting when I was looking at these bar graphs, and we've, um, we don't have a whole lot of time left to get into it, but thankfully we have a couple of weeks to, uh, to unpack more of this. But I was really intrigued by the fact that there were very few who said they were either very progressive or very conservative. Um, and, and like you said, this is kind of a self-assessment. So the very progressives would probably think that those who call themselves conservative are very conservative. Can you talk about sort of the caveats in that when, when you're self-assessing? Yeah, well, the question is, um, uh, what do you compare your views to? Is it, is it the current state of culture and politics right now? Like, what is the meaning of conservative or very conservative now versus back in the day? And our data can't really um, give us a quantitative um, answer to that. But we can correlate it to other items, like specific items about belief in the Eucharist, um, kind of other domains. And while, while obviously the meaning has changed, and one could argue that maybe very conservative or conservative now is somewhat different, um, maybe that, that used to be more of the middle of the road, maybe at a different point in time. Uh, so that might be a caveat, but uh, but the overall trend is so strong that this seems to be a conservative turn. But you're right to say that um, the polar groups have have grown um, or yeah. in the as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, we've been talking to Dr. Christopher Jacoby and looking forward to unpacking this study further in subsequent weeks. You can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Jacoby, thank you. Thank you for having me, and I'm looking forward to our next session. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much again. And you can find all of our guests linked at sonrisemorningshow.com. Click on the show notes, click on the subscribe button, get it all in your inbox every day. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Israel's ambassador to the United States says his country's government is against a ceasefire, but willing to agree to a pause in fighting for the release of hostages. Speaking on ABC's This Week, Michael Herzog outlined the difference between a pause and a ceasefire. He said a pause in the fighting would last for a few days to allow for a significant number of hostages to be released. He said Israel is against a ceasefire because Hamas would use it as a chance to regroup and strike again. Herzog emphasized that Israel will continue its objective to dismantle, as he put it, Hamas's military and terror infrastructure. Pope Francis plans to meet with families of Israelis being held hostage, as well as with family members of Palestinians who are in Gaza. The Vatican announced the meetings will be held separately, and both will take place on Wednesday after his general audience. The Holy See spokesperson said the meetings are of an exclusively humanitarian nature. He added that the Pope's objective is to express his spiritual closeness to the suffering of each individual. Pope Francis renewed his appeal for peace around the world during his Angelus address yesterday. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. La pace è possibile. Ci vuole buona volontà. And he implored men and women of goodwill never to resign themselves to war. Non rassegniamoci alla guerra. 
Reiterating his belief already voiced on many occasions and repeating the word always three times, the Pope said, war always, always, always is a defeat. And he noted the only ones who gain from war are those who manufacture weapons. Soltanto guadagnano i fabbricatori delle armi. And during the Pope's urgent appeal, he shone the spotlight on Myanmar, where an escalation of hostilities between the country's military junta and ethnic minority armed group, the Arakan Army, have spread to various townships, where civilians have been caught in the crossfire. I renew my closeness to the dear people of Myanmar, the Pope said, who unfortunately continue to suffer from violence and suppression. I pray that they will not be discouraged and always trust in the Lord's help. Never neglecting to remember those suffering from the ongoing conflict in Ukraine and in the war between Israel and Hamas, the Pope asked for prayers for the tormented Ukraine and for the people of Palestine and Israel. E per le popolazioni di Palestina e Israele. La pace è possibile. I'm Linda Bordoni. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter, the wife of the nation's 39th president, has died. Mark Mayfield reports. The Carter Center announced she passed away Sunday afternoon at the age of 96 at her home in Plains, Georgia. She married Jimmy Carter in 1946, and they were married for 77 years. As First Lady, she was an active part of the administration, serving as the president's personal emissary to Latin American countries and even sitting in on cabinet meetings. She focused her advocacy on performing arts and improving mental health programs. I'm Mark Mayfield. The I-10 freeway in California is now back open. The mayor of L.A. posted Sunday night a welcome back message to L.A. residents. Five lanes in each direction were made available Sunday night to help reduce the disruption during the Monday morning drive. More than 250 people worked on the section of the freeway 24 hours a day after a fire last Saturday. The Fulton County District Attorney is requesting an August 5th start date for the trial of former President Trump in the Georgia election interference case. Brian Shook reports. Willis said in a court filing that the date balances potential delays from Trump's other trials as well as the other defendants' constitutional speedy trial rights. Trump's lawyers said in their court filing that the former president wants to present oral arguments in opposition to the motion. Trump has continued to push for his various trials to be delayed until after the 2024 election. I'm Brian Shook. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's 35 past the hour. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonrisemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. 
Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N, risemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me. Leah at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, From whom does the church derive its undying life and infallible authority? The church derives its undying life and infallible authority from the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of truth who abides with it forever. Just as a physical body is animated by a spiritual soul, So similarly, the mystical body of Christ is animated by the Holy Spirit. Through the men who have been placed as successors to the apostles, the Holy Spirit moves and helps to ensure that the church will always remain one, will be guided by the truth, will be led to holiness. And so the church then is made Catholic by the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of your faithful in the church so that we might participate in the undying life of Christ who rose from the dead and gives his authority to those who reign in his church. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on a Monday morning. Thanks for joining us. Father John Gavin back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's author of Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer. Good morning, Father. Good morning. Hey, Father, um, we've been asking our regular guests about Thanksgiving. Is there any particular dish that you're really good at that you always bring to a Thanksgiving meal? Well, I, um, I'm cooking. I'm assistant for cooking the meal this Thursday with Father Riser here in the community. Um, I don't bring a particular dish other than my ability to move, carry, stir, and chop. <laughs> so I That's leave awesome. all the real details into the hands of uh, the master, Father Riser. So. Uh, but, yeah, we, we, we usually turn out a pretty good meal. That's awesome. The sous chef is a very important role. Otherwise, yeah. all the food wouldn't get cooked. So That's right. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Um, so continuing our dive into the catechism, unpacking church father quotes um, in the catechism, we're continuing in this section on the creed devoted to the Holy Spirit. And specifically, we've been looking – at the Sacrament of Confession. And here's the paragraph that we're going to be discussing today. This is paragraph 983, and it boasts three, three church father quotes. So here we go. It says, Catechesis strives to awaken and nourish in the faith, the faithful faith in the incomparable greatness of the risen Christ's gift to his church, the mission and the power to forgive sins through the ministry of the apostles and their successors. Here's St. Ambrose. The Lord wills that his disciples possess a tremendous power, that his lowly servants accomplish in his name all that he did when he was on earth. Now St. John Chrysostom. 
priests have received from God a power that he has given neither to angels nor to archangels. God above confirms what priests do here below. And finally, from St. Augustine, were there no forgiveness of sins in the church, there would be no hope of life to come or eternal liberation. Let us thank God who has given his church such a gift. Um, Amen to that. Now, Mm -hmm. Father, take us through these quotes and where they come from. Sure. So obviously, by quoting three major church fathers, one after the other, the the Catechism is making a point here. And the first one comes, of course, from St. Ambrose of Milan, who died in 397, a great bishop who opposed uh, Arianism and, of course, his relationship with St. Augustine and Augustine's conversion and his baptism, so significant. He is, this comes from a work on penance, De Penitentia, in which he uh, is opposing especially some lingering teachings that stem from Novation, who was a uh, priest, uh, theologian, even anti-pope, uh, who opposed Pope Cornelius in uh, the third century regarding the possibility of forgiveness of sin after baptism. Uh, especially after, uh, during a period of uh, persecution. And uh, Ambrose is saying, no, one can, unlike Novation, who said, no, it's not possible. Ambrose affirms the possibility of reconciliation in the life of the Church, while also affirming uh, the role of the Apostles in that, obviously the, what becomes our sacrament of confession. John Chrysostom, the great preacher, the Golden Mouth, uh, who died in 407, preached in Greek, uh, continues this theme in, in affirming especially uh, that it is God or Christ who forgives sins, uh, not the priest, and, but that it, this, again, takes place in the life of the Church. And then finally, we have a quote from St. Augustine from one of his sermons, and uh, this sermon was given in what we call the handing on of the creed. Uh, this took place just before uh, the Easter Vigil, a uh, week before, in which he explains the entirety of the creed to those who are about to be baptized. Mm-hmm. And again, in this case, he uh, emphasizes the possibility of forgiveness of sins, uh, first and foremost through baptism, which they're about to receive, but also within the life of the Church, always uh, within the communal life of the Church, as conveyed through the Apostles. So it's, it's really bringing home this theme of this gift of forgiveness of sins in Christ within uh, the life of the Church, and especially through the action of the Apostles. And so talk a little more about the power of the priest in the Sacrament of Confession. Certainly. Uh, I think what we see in all of them is, on the one hand, uh, they do point out, yes, that in the life of the Church, from Christ's own words, uh, I think as we saw last week regarding the keys, this uh, this uh, gift of forgiveness takes place sacramentally through uh, through the priests. But on the other hand, it really emphasizes the fact, the truth, that it is Christ who forgives sins, not actually the priest who does so. And uh, I just share, a, a, just briefly, just an experience I, uh, that I've had over the years as a confessor, um, especially when I was in Italy. Uh, I was ordained in 2002, 
And I was sent immediately after to go do studies, doctoral studies in uh, Rome and then teach. And I became part of a small group that every year would go to uh, Lecco, which is a beautiful, beautiful uh, town north of Milan, near the Alps. And there's a shrine to Our Lady there, Our Lady of Victory. And we would go there to hear confessions during Advent and uh, Lent for Holy Week, and then the last week of Advent. It's in the uh, Diocese of Milan, so they have the Ambrosian Rite there. Oh, yeah. Yes. So it's uh, they get five weeks of Advent instead of four. Cool. Uh, and they start <laughs> Lent on a Sunday. Wow. Uh, so uh, some differences there. but. Uh, but the thing was, because it was a shrine, people came from all over to hear confessions for for a week. It's incredible. We were hearing confessions eight or nine hours a day. Wow. Non-stop. That's in, like St. John Vianney style. <laughs> oh, it was, it was very, and this is, I had just been ordained a priest the first time I went there in Lent. But what, what I, this kind of, I call it like a confession boot camp while we were up there. <laughs> Yeah. And what I really became conscious of was, first of all, three things. I mean, that first of all, it really is Christ who heals in the sacrament. Uh, the priest is present, but yet you're just too tired. To really, you just realize, <laughs> my goodness, it's only Jesus who's doing this in the Holy Spirit. The other thing was the community. Um, you, you would have to sometimes step out, obviously, to go to the bathroom, take a break, or what have you, and you just see this massive crowd. Mm. all gathered as sinners in need. You could imagine all those seeking healing around Christ in, that we hear about in the Scriptures. And it's like they are gathered together as a communion. And then finally, this almost tangible sense of hope uh, mm. for each person individually, but whole group. This is really, uh, especially being that close to St. Ambrose in this case, it was uh, just an incredible experience of what it means uh, it's not the priest, it is Christ, but what a gift to witness that healing in a community of the Church. Oh, I believe it. Um, can I ask you about this St. John Chrysostom quote? So, sure. priests have received from God a power that he has given neither to angels nor mm. to archangels. I mean, no pressure there, Father. I mean, I know <laughs> you just got done saying that it is absolutely Christ who is doing the healing, but what, mm. what, a, what an experience that must be to have the power of Christ run through you in that way. It, it is uh, truly one of the most humbling uh, experiences uh, that a priest can have, is, is to hear someone's confession, uh, and just a tremendous gift. I think it's also reminded when the priest goes to confession, right? Mm. Uh, I mean, it's also... The priest uh, also is going, what one hopes, regularly to confession. And so it's reinforced in both directions. It's like, what an incredible gift that Christ has given us in the life of the Church. Yeah. We've been talking to Father John Gavin, some beautiful quotes from the Church Fathers today in the Catechism, paragraph 983. If you want to go do some further study with the Church Fathers in the Catechism, and you can find Father's book, Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father Gavin, thank you so much. Have a blessed Thanksgiving. You do the same. Thank you very much. All right. It is 13 till Father Patrick Briscoe joins us next. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. 
Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests served for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hi, friends. Janet Williams here. Join me every Wednesday on Women of Grace Live as I welcome New Age researcher and blogger for Women of Grace, Sue Brinkman. Sue and I will be talking about all the wacky things that could distract you from your faith. Psychics, yoga, Reiki, crystals, acupuncture, Ouija boards, tarot cards, and astral traveling are just a few of the stranger things we discuss. That's why we call it Wacky Wednesday. So join us at 11 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. On the next More to Life, all stressed up for the holidays. Worried about holiday get-togethers? We'll help you find your peace. That's later today on More to Life. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Patrick Briscoe. He's a Dominican priest, and he also happens to be uh, kind of our pipeline guy for all things our Sunday visitor. Father, how are you? Hey, good morning, Matt. Thanks for having me on. So before we let you uh, get into today's topic, I've been asking, Annie's been asking, do you have any Thanksgiving responsibilities? Are you in charge of anything this week, or are you staying out of the way? Well, usually I do throw myself into the kitchen, and I really enjoy it. Thanksgiving is one of the most fun holidays in a religious community, because uh, it's really, really about the fraternity, really about uh, just being able to be together. But this year I'm on the road. I'm actually on my way to uh, a, an event for the Eucharistic Revival in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Oh, wow. Well, don't get any gumbo on that white habit, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> well, we hope you have a safe trip. Send our best to the folks in Lake Charles. Um, I want to talk about a bit of a difficult topic and a very contentious one, and one that um, really has been building for some time. And I didn't. I don't even think I knew this existed after, like, the 40s until maybe just a few years ago, and that is uh, this wave after wave of anti-Semitism, which seems to be making the rounds in a very big way, especially since the Israel-Gaza conflict. What are some of your reflections on it as a, well, as an American, as a Christian, as a Catholic priest? Yeah, I think one of the things that we tend to do as Catholics and ought to do, right, is to look at our, look at our historic resources 
And one of the best, uh, one of the best to help us navigate this issue of anti-Semitism is the French philosopher Jacques Maritain. He gave a radio address here in the United States weeks after Kristallnacht, the night, of course, where 7,000 Jewish businesses were destroyed, 900 synagogues were burned, 30,000 Jewish men were deported to concentration camps. He gave a compelling radio address that helped, uh, that helped situate uh, Catholics um, and helped contest some, uh, frankly, just a, a lot of wrong thinking, a lot of wrong ideas about the issue in a very clear way. So we can, we can look to things like Maritain's radio address to help us navigate the waters that, that, we have to, that we have to pass through today. Yeah, so this is why I think this is such an important topic, because when geopolitics get involved, a whole bunch of things get lumped all in together. And what happens is that when someone can be rallying for X, suddenly like you've got all these other people that show up and everybody just sort of lets them have a microphone. <laughs> it's crazy. These things happen... Uh, all over the place. And it's amazing to me how in the conversations about, you know, what should be happening with the geopolitics of Israel and Palestine, some of these like old tropes about, you know, death to all Jews and some of this other stuff gets in the mix and people just kind of let it run. That's absolutely right. Um, one, one can have thoughtful and critical discussions about how territory is controlled and allocated uh, in and around Israel. But it's wrong, for example, to cry uh, from the river to the sea, because that's a genocidal slogan. And we, we should be clear about what's wrong uh, and supportive about thoughtful ways uh, and critical ways to have meaningful dialogue. So this gets tricky in a number of ways, and I can't help but think of this in light of my evangelical background and the, uh, I mean, it comes back around in waves every now and then, the rapture craze, and there were certain people, um, I'm not even going to say the names of some of these uh, TV preachers and people who had massive platforms who were very, very into rapture stuff and wanting to uh, resettle Jews in the Holy Land because they thought it would hasten the return of Christ. And it was weird. They sort of used the the Jewish people as like kind of this prop to get at this sort of eschatological end game they were trying to force Jesus into. It's very, very difficult to explain to anybody who wasn't there at the time. Uh, but I think even that uh, betrays kind of a form of like an anti-Semitism of, of objectifying the Jews as means to some other kind of end. And I think that's a dangerous thing too. And I see it... Uh, Maybe I'm sensitive to it because of some of the experiences I had, but I see that too. I I think that's absolutely correct, uh, and that there could be that there could be misunderstandings about what what the Lord is going to do, or or how we interact with with His divine providence and service to His providence. I mean, I think our relationship with Christianity must be must be founded on on our fraternal on our fraternal bond. Jacques Maritain uses the phrase, for example. Spiritually, we are Semites, right? And he, he takes that from takes that from uh, from one of the popes. Uh, and I think that 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 kind of clarity of understanding the kind of shared font of revelation um, is a great beginning point. It's a great touchstone um, to understand that for a Christian to hate or despise um, the race 
from which sprang his God is a very serious matter. Yeah, yeah. It is the entire mechanism that God used through the course of salvation history to reveal the second person of the Trinity to us. It's kind of a serious thing that we ought to be taking seriously. But just to turn it around to us with like just a moment left, uh, I mean, we should be aware that if if all these you know, this vitriol gets turned on the Jews, it, it doesn't take but one move to turn that back on Christians, too. Uh, so in some sense, this is kind of like a, a dispute that we can't completely ignore either. Yes, I think that's absolutely correct. And we, we, ought, to, we ought to learn the lessons of history. And, and I think that's why we're, why we're called to speak so clearly about anti-Semitism at, at this moment. Um, to, to pursue the truth, um, to, to say what, what can be said um, with, with clarity in, uh, in this current conflict, and then, as, as you say, uh, in so doing, to move, move the conversation forward. Yeah, we've got uh, socioeconomic problems to discuss. We've got geopolitical problems to discuss. We've got all kinds of unrest and violence to pray that the Prince of Peace comes and resolves. Uh, but in the meantime... We can't be engaged in, <laughs> in racism as a mechanism for any of that. So thank you so much, Father Patrick Briscoe. Uh, we've got our Sunday visitor linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Thanks so much for having me on. God bless. All right. We've got another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up after the break. Please do stay with us. It's three minutes till. It is Monday the 20th of November as we continue through the month dedicated to the holy souls in purgatory. Let's pray for the dead in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God our Father, your power brings us to birth, your providence guides our lives, and by your command we return to dust. Lord, those who die still live in your presence. Their lives change but do not end. I pray and hope for my family, relatives, and friends, and for all the dead known to you alone. In company with Christ who died and now lives, may they rejoice in your kingdom where all our tears are wiped away. Unite us together again in one family to sing your praise forever and ever. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you are with us here on a Monday morning as we head towards the Thanksgiving holiday, at least those of you listening in the United States of America. I know some of you are listening from other places, but we in the U.S. of A. are uh, hopefully going to be able to get together with some family, eat some food, and uh, it'll be a good week, I hope. We'll travel out there, too. Please be safe. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has got our video feed up and running. SunriseMorningShow.com. Click the show notes. Teresa Tamio will join us from EWTN and Ave Maria Radio's Catholic Connection. Brendan Hodge will talk about some vocation stats in big versus little dioceses. These are going to be some interesting stats, I assure you. Bear Wozniak will join us as we continue his series on uh, steps to be 
a virtuous Catholic man. And then Stephanie Mann, who is, uh, that's only her last name. But Stephanie is going to talk about two second chance confessors. And if you don't know what that means, you should be tuned in because it's a cool story. Right now, it is two minutes past the hour. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter, the wife of Jimmy Carter, the 39th president of the United States, has died. The Carter Center announced she passed away Sunday afternoon at the age of 96 at her home in Plains, Georgia. She married Jimmy Carter in 1946. They were married for 77 years. As First Lady, she was active in the administration, serving as the president's personal emissary to Latin American countries and sitting in on cabinet meetings. She focused her advocacy as First Lady on performing arts and improving mental health programs. In other news, the U.S. is brokering a deal with Israel and Hamas to pause the war in Gaza and allow some hostages to be freed. People familiar with negotiations tell the Washington Post that Israel and Hamas are close to an agreement and that dozens of women and children are currently that are currently being held hostage in Gaza could start being released within the next several days. The report says the six-page deal would require Israel and Hamas to freeze combat operations for at least five days, while up to 50 hostages are released in small groups every 24 hours. The pause would also allow for humanitarian aid to enter Gaza. Pope Francis plans to meet with families of Israelis being held hostage, as well as with family members of Palestinians who are in Gaza. Mark Mayfield reports. The Vatican announced the meetings will be held separately and both will take place this Wednesday after a general audience with the Pope. A Holy See spokesperson said the meetings are of an exclusively humanitarian nature. The spokesperson added that the Pope's objective is to express his spiritual closeness to the suffering of each individual. I'm Mark Mayfield. Pope Francis celebrated Mass yesterday for the World Day of the Poor. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones has more. In his homily during the Mass for the World Day of the Poor, Pope Francis reflected on two aspects of the Sunday Gospel reading recounting the parable of the talents the journey of Jesus, and the journey of our own lives. Describing the journey of Jesus in his incarnation, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, Pope Francis said Jesus has left us his wealth, recalling the Eucharist, his words of life, his holy mother to be our mother, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He explained how all of these gifts or talents are freely offered so that we can continue his work on earth in our own personal mission that the Lord entrusts to us in our daily lives, in society and in the church. The journey of Jesus will continue at the end of time when he returns in glory, the Pope recalled, in order to settle the accounts of history and bring us into the joy of eternal life. And it's therefore important that we ask ourselves, in what state will the Lord find us when he returns? Pope said, we've received from the Lord the gift of his love and we're called to become a gift for others. The love with which Jesus cared for us, the balm of his mercy, the compassion with which he tended our wounds, the flame of the Spirit by which he filled our hearts with joy and hope. The Pope said all these are treasures that we cannot simply keep to ourselves. Recalling the great suffering in our world and the scandal of widespread poverty, the Pope explained how today's gospel speaks loudly and clearly that we must spread the wealth of charity— 
The Pope said, when we think of the immense numbers of the poor in our midst, the message of today's gospel is clear. Let us not bury the wealth of the Lord. Let us spread the wealth of charity, share our bread, and multiply love. I'm Thaddeus Jones. The I-10 freeway in California is now back open. L.A. Mayor Karen Bass posted last night a welcome back message to L.A. residents. Five lanes in each direction were made available last night to help reduce the disruption during the Monday morning drive. More than 250 people worked on that section of the freeway 24 hours a day after the fire last Saturday. That stretch of road handles nearly 300,000 vehicles per day. Officials are still looking into the case of the blaze and have released pictures of a person of interest in the case. They do believe this is a case of arson. A town in Iceland is bracing for a major volcanic eruption. All 3,800 residents have been forced to evacuate from the small town of Grindavik after a huge crack in the earth began to spread last week. The seismic activity triggered hundreds of earthquakes and tremors in the region. Vatican City State has launched a series of energy-saving initiatives. Vatican News reports among the projects is a partnership with Volkswagen to introduce a state car fleet to reduce CO2 emissions. Officials say the initiatives are all rooted in the principles of the Pope's encyclical Laudato Si and the follow-up exhortation Laudate Deum on the protection of our common home. And the Detroit Lions are one of the hottest teams in the NFL, and it shows in the cost of tickets. For this week's Thanksgiving Day matchup against the Packers, tickets are going for $200 minimum for standing room only. The more costly tickets are going for thousands of dollars on resale sites. The Lions are 8-2 and two and looking to extend their lead in the division this week. All right, so let me let me think about this. So the Lions won. They came back on the Bears last night. Mm-hmm. And the Eagles, the Eagles play tonight? No. I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, they do. Eagles and Chiefs yeah. play tonight. Goodness gracious. That's quite a... Uh... All right, so it'll be very interesting. So if the Eagles lose to the Chiefs, which who knows... That means that the Lions would be tied for the best record in the That's NFC? That's crazy. Of course, I'm more interested in college football. Of course. You got a you know, big one. The game is this Saturday, and so, Matt, State, I would Michigan. like to be referred to as Anna Itchel this week. Because you don't want to be using the M in anything? Yeah. I mean, I can't really, in a practical way... We'll just go by your married all... name. You'll be Annie Egan. Okay. There you go. <laughs> That'll work. Because Itchel just sounds like, I don't know, something that it's needs a scratch. It's funnier to go by. <laughs> I think it's funnier to call me Anna Itchel. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't think we've got, I think we were not able to get Teresa Tommy on the line. That so is you don't actually... correct. I'm thinking. She just though... came off a pilgrimage. Well, but week, I'm so thinking that recovered. somehow, like, in your zeal to be all Ohio State all the time, you wouldn't even let someone from the state a border north of you even on the air on a Do we on day have morning. any regulars from that state up to Steve Ray? Oh, of course. Um, Gary Achuda. Gary Achuda. Does he care about college football? Uh, he might. I don't know. I gotta find out. There are a few. There are a few people from up there. 
Arlen De La Torre. Of was course, it, he was. Nah, he's in Ohio he was now. In but he's, the, he's the guy who says go Bucks at the every interview. I know. The end of every interview. Good morning, I think it was Arlen. the late Bobby Knight who used to never refer to Kentucky. He uh, called it like the state south of the Ohio River. Nice. Nice. Uh, when he was, uh, it's a problem with his Indiana That's basketball. Good. That's good. Stuff. Well, speaking of Sunrise Morning Show guests, I put a Facebook post up, and uh, I want to know what people have to think. Since we're, I mean, we there's all kinds of different ways to look at what we're thankful for and, and all that stuff. Uh, and I thought it'd be fun to put a post out. Uh, it's on Facebook. It's also in the chat in the uh, video of uh, the of the Sunrise Morning Show, if you go to the show notes. Uh, and the question is, which Sunrise regular guest are you especially thankful for this year? So go to sunrisemorningshow.com, click on the Facebook page. I'd love to share a few of those through the course of the morning and the week. Uh, do you know who I picked? Did you just pick one? I just picked one, right? Wow. So, okay. Um, but I picked one because if you say all of them, that's cheating. Sure. But, and I mean, with that with that caveat in mind that we are so, I, so grateful for all of our regulars. There are other shows that are forced to interview people that they don't want to talk to because they know they have to cover certain things. But we have a luxury of only picking, like, the people that we really want to talk to. Yeah. And just kind of catching up with them from week to week. And I uh, this year, and you probably already know who I'm going to say, but I've been especially grateful for Father Augustine Weta. Oh, yeah. Um because among other things, his stories are great. They're wild. Even at the beginning of an interview, when I think I know what I'm going to talk about with him, it turns out not being what I thought I was going to talk about with him. <laughs> he makes me laugh nonstop. Uh, and I feel like every single time I talk to him, I'm like, well, that's one practical thing I can take into a relationship or an interaction or a decision today. Yeah. That Benedictine wisdom. It's been a very Benedictine year. We've had a lot of Benedictines Lots on the Lots of Benedictines. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, I'm going to have to narrow down, but can got, I start you, with say, a list? Okay, so you got to pick one and solo them out. So I will, can... yeah, I'll I'll get to that. I didn't realize that I had to pick just one. No, so while can you're I start... thinking, do you want me to share some others, or are you ready? Well, I have a list okay. that I started because I was like, okay, you know, you have to keep narrowing down, kind of like, you know, the, the 70, the the 12, yeah. the three. It's more so, like picking bridesmaids. If you pick one, it's fine. If you pick yeah. seven, people are like, well, why'd you leave the eighth all person All right, out? so I, I started thinking about all of the regulars and um, how grateful I am for all of them. And then I thought, okay, Matt is going to make me narrow down this list. And so I started to think about the regulars who, um, because all of them do so much work, Mm -hmm. um, there are some regulars who actually like generate the content specifically for the Sunrise Morning Show. They, we have a it, lot of regulars who yeah. do, um, who do, who have books or podcasts or you know things of that nature. That um, well, some people put together their notes for just for us, like exactly. They don't and, exist on a blog post or in a book or anything. They're just conversations they have with us. Just my computer is... just decided to freeze so that I could – I have the list of people who, like, come up with the content. So um, here we go. Those who, like, literally – so they don't – we're not, like, going through a book that they've already written or a podcast that they've already done or a blog post that they've written. So these are the people who write things specifically 
for the Sunrise Morning Show. Kevin Schmeising. Of course. Father John Gavin. Of course. Uh, Stephanie Mann. Absolutely. Steve Ray. Chris McGregor. Father Frank Donio. Rita Heikenfeld. Kevin Prendergast. Um, sometimes Ken Craycraft. He's kind of a... He's he's so some back. of his stuff ends up in articles. some of his stuff is written and some of his stuff is completely like and to be fair Stephanie Mann usually does a blog post about it but she does it to talk about what she's going to, to preview her segment well exactly that's <laughs> so, what her yeah I mean she yeah. writes that blog post specifically for the Sunrise Morning nuggets. Show yes um, the other one who who does this is Marlon De La Torre of course um, his blog posts come out on. Tuesday mornings when of he's our, live with, with us, or I guess Monday nights ahead of the Sunrise Morning Show. You want to hear so what some other people have had to say, by the way? These are the lists that uh, that I've come up with. Now, you're going to make me narrow it down further. I gotta uh, you, I'm not going to make you narrow it down. I'm going to read what some listeners have had oh, to say. Oh, okay, great. And I'll give you a chance to think. So, Linnell wrote on Facebook, Danielle Bean loves nice. her wisdom and example as a wife and mother. Maybe she loves her pie crust recipe too because Oof. Danielle threw that out last week also. I know. All right. Uh, Stephanie Stephanie Mann who's going to be on the show later on says that she appreciates Brendan Hodge who's going to be on the show next. Oh, neat. See, this is the fun part of the Sunrise Morning Show family is that the the people who are actually on the show listen to each other. I love that. Um gosh, there's there's many more. Um Michael on the YouTube chat says he appreciates bobby schindler i appreciate bobby too bobby is like if i if i don't hear it from bobby i don't hear it yeah a lot of the stuff that he covers um got felix thankful for father hezekiah and joseph pierce nice uh let's see there's another i'm grateful for father hezekiah too i am too he's a wild man he's a wild man and while i'm at it i'm really grateful for father jonathan duncan too i'm grateful for the fact that we get two priests every week so if you hit the Sunrise Morning Show timing just right, you can get three different priests reflecting on the homily after you go to Mass at your own parish. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty cool to be able to get an Eastern Rite priest, a convert former Episcopalian priest, who's now Catholic, and your own parish priest, mm-hmm. all given a take on the gospel reading and the and the first and second readings for Mass. Um that to me, I'm like very grateful for that every weekend. I co- I feel like I go into mass with a bet a better uh, better perspective on stuff. Um, Dr. Matthew Bunsen's getting some mentions. Oh yeah, well, I guess I should say he generates the content. It's just all in his head. It is. I don't is. ever give him any kind of. He's warning. written encyclopedias. He generated at some point. Yeah, that is for sure. At any rate. Tell us who you're thankful for in the Sunrise Morning Show family, specifically who and why, and put it in the Facebook notes or on the YouTube chat. Back after this, it's 17 past. Support is for MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan 
you're happy with. You can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE. 844-55-BIBLE. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's sonricemorningshow.com. One of the reasons we should go to Mass is because it is the food of the saints that we receive. And for the saints, they understood rightly that the time after Holy Communion, that those moments are the most precious moments of our lives. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, live from the EWTN Chapel, every morning, 8 Eastern, on EWTN Radio and Television. 19 minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter has died. She was 96 years old. The U.S. says they are brokering a deal with Israel and Hamas to pause the war in Gaza to allow some hostages to be freed and humanitarian aid to come in. And Pope Francis plans to meet with families of Israelis held hostage as well as with family members of Palestinians who are in Gaza. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Did just want to throw that back out there as you're preparing for your Thanksgiving feasts. Uh, I mentioned Danielle Bean's recipe uh, portal, which I don't think you can get to from her main page. It's no, Dan- you was it daniellebean.com slash recipes? recipes. <laughs> so check that out. Also go to abouteating.com. This is like Rita Heikenfeld's time this of year to shine. Her time. I, uh, I lean from on now Rita until, big time. From now until the Christmas season. Now until season. like Epiphany. Yeah. Exactly. So, and maybe even on through that, because then she's got Valentine's Day chocolate cake recipes. Ooh. And then we're into Lenten meatless recipes, yeah. and then she's got Easter feast she's recipes. Just, you know, really... very important. Abouteating.com. And also, this is one of the cool things, is that she collects recipes from listeners, and sometimes she'll share one, and she'll be like, this is from a listener in, uh, mm-hmm. in Ishigan. Ishigan. In Ishigan. Yeah. They gave us this... Sets. This bread pudding recipe, as it were. Mm-hmm. So at any rate, head over to sunrisemorningshow.com. Check out our Sunrise Morning Show family members and their recipe suggestions. And try them out. Let us know how they work. It's 21 past. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah 
at sacredheartradio.com. Remember, O most loving heart of Jesus, that they for whom I pray are those for whom you prayed so earnestly the night before your death. These are they to whom you look to continue with you in your sorrows when others forsake you, who share your griefs and have inherited your persecutions according to your word, that the servant is not greater than his Lord. Remember, O heart of Jesus, that they are the objects of the world's hatred and Satan's deadliest snares. Keep them then, O Jesus, in the safe citadel of your sacred heart, and there let them be sanctified in truth. May they be one with you and one among themselves, and grant that multitudes may be brought through their word to believe in you and love you. Amen. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on a Monday morning. Brendan Hodge joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show. He is Darwin from the Darwin Catholic blog. He's author of If You Can Get It from Ignatius Press and a contributing editor to The Pillar. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning. Great to be on with you. It is great to have you, Brendan. What is your job at Thanksgiving in the Hodge household? Um, I what? I usually put out the pies, the mashed potatoes, and uh, uh, make sure that we have a schedule. <laughs> That's important with seven kids. I've had your pie. Delicious. Okay. This is good to know. Um, if you have any recipes you'd like to share with listeners, send them my way. We'll get them in the show notes. But um, we're uh, not going to be talking about Thanksgiving this whole time. Uh, we actually have a, a vocations story that is going to be coming out from you over at the Pillar, um, talking about fostering vocations. First of all, can you just tell us um, how this article came about in the first place? Yeah. Well, of course, I do the data journalism for the Pillar, and I got an email a couple of weeks ago from a lady named Rhonda Grudewald. And she is the founder of Vocation Ministry, uh, which has a site, vocationministry.com. She does workshops for dioceses around the country on helping to foster vocations. And she talks about priests and uh, lay groups on what they can do in order to try to foster both priestly vocations and vocations to the religious life. And she has some data sets on both the current state of vocations in different dioceses, which is a subject I've looked at from time to time, and also some of the factors which lead to vocations and kind of what that points to in terms of how people need to work on fostering vocations. Yeah, Rhonda has been on the Sunrise Morning Show in the past talking about some of these ideas as well, and one of her main things is just to have... A, to tell a young man to consider thinking about the priesthood and how um, it's particularly effective if a parish priest encourages a young man to think about the priesthood as as a possible vocation for him. Does does the data support that, Brendan? Yeah, so one of the things that she pointed to is uh, the Center 
for Applied Research in the Apostolate at Georgetown University, uh, CARA. They're one mm-hmm. of the uh, organizations which does a lot of data work on the Catholic Church in the U.S. They do a study each year where they interview all of the newly ordained diocesan priests, and also the religious priests, but here we're going to look at some diocesan data. And um, of those new priests last year, 71% said that uh, they had been invited to consider a vocation of the priesthood by their parish priest. And that was the highest—they talked about other people encouraging their vocations, about parents, about friends, about fellow parishioners— But by far the highest number was that number of men who'd been encouraged to pursue a vocation by their parish priest. Hmm. And what's startling is that when Rhonda has talked with workshops of diocesan priests and said, now how many of you uh, were invited to the priesthood by another priest? A lot of hands go up. And then she says, well, how many of you have ever told a young man that he may have a vocation of the priesthood and that he should consider becoming a priest? And very few hands go up. She said that typically it's about 30% of priests who have ever invited any young man to pursue the priesthood. And obviously that's a problem. If people aren't being invited, then they may not start that entire train of thought, which leads them to seminary. Well, it sounds so simple then, right? I mean, a parish priest just needs to encourage young guys in his parish to think about the priesthood. But why is that actually a little bit complicated for a parish priest? Well, one of the big challenges is that even once you get parish priests in that mentality that Rhonda tries to inspire in them, um, we have fewer parish priests than we used to. The number of priests in the U.S. has been going down. And uh, one of the big trends in the U.S. is towards larger parishes and larger dioceses. And so more and more Catholics are living in parishes which have a lot of parishioners, More and more Catholics are living in dioceses where the ratio of Catholics to priests is very, very high. And that means that a lot of Catholics do not have close personal relationships with their priests. They'll see them once a week at Mass, uh, but they don't know him well, and he doesn't know them well. And that, of course, makes it a lot harder for him to have any sense of which young men might have a vocation to the priesthood or to invite anyone. And that's before you get into some of the awkwardness around priests feeling like maybe they shouldn't have super close relationships with young men because of all the worries around the scandal and so on. I was going to say there's kind of that barrier there. I was That was exactly what I was going to point out. Um, I want to dive into specific numbers in, in dioceses, perhaps in, in a future segment, Brendan. But just to kind of lay the groundwork here, can you talk in general about the vocation situation when it comes to smaller versus larger dioceses? Yeah, so I took a look through Rhonda's data, and one of the things that really stood out to me is that if you look at dioceses in the U.S., we have a small number of dioceses that are really, really big. So the largest 21 dioceses in the U.S. have 50% of the Catholics. And in those dioceses, there's an average of 7,000 Catholics per priest. And what we saw is that for those dioceses where half of Catholics live, none of them are meeting the number of vocations they would need to maintain their number of priests. And actually, most of them are getting less than half the number of vocations they would need. Whereas in small dioceses, where only 5% of Catholics live, 
uh, there's a ratio of a thousand Catholics per priest, and 60% of them are meeting their need for vocation. So we have a huh. very big small versus big diocese dichotomy in the vocations crisis. All right, we'll have to dive into that more the next time we get together. Brendan Hodge, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, it is half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Israel's ambassador to the United States says his country's government is against a ceasefire, but willing to agree to a pause in fighting for the release of hostages. Speaking on ABC's This Week yesterday, Michael Herzog outlined the difference between a pause and a ceasefire. He said the pause in fighting would last for a few days to allow for a significant number of hostages to be released. He said Israel is against a ceasefire because Hamas would use it as a chance to regroup and strike again. He emphasized that Israel will continue its objective to dismantle Hamas's military and terror infrastructure. Pope Francis, meanwhile, plans to meet with families of Israelis held hostage as well as with families of Palestinians who are in Gaza. The Vatican announced the meetings will be held separately, both taking place this Wednesday after his general audience. A Holy See spokesperson said the meetings are of an exclusively humanitarian nature, adding that the Pope's objective is to express his spiritual closeness to the suffering of each individual. Pope Francis renewed his appeal for peace around the world during his Sunday Angelus address. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. La pace è possibile. Ci vuole buona volontà. And he implored men and women of goodwill never to resign themselves to war. Non rassegniamoci alla guerra. Reiterating his belief already voiced on many occasions and repeating the word always three times, the Pope said... War always, always, always is a defeat. And he noted the only ones who gain from war are those who manufacture weapons. And during the Pope's urgent appeal, he shone the spotlight on Myanmar, where an escalation of hostilities between the country's military junta and ethnic minority armed group, the Arakan Army, have spread to various townships, where civilians have been caught in the crossfire. I renew my closeness to the dear people of Myanmar, the Pope said, who unfortunately continue to suffer from violence and suppression. I pray that they will not be discouraged and always trust in the Lord's help. Never neglecting to remember those suffering from the ongoing conflict in Ukraine and in the war between Israel and Hamas, the Pope asked for prayers for the tormented Ukraine and for the people of Palestine and Israel. I'm Linda Bordoni. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter, the wife of the nation's 39th president, has died. Mark Mayfield reports. The Carter Center announced she passed away Sunday afternoon at the age of 96 at her home in Plains, Georgia. She married Jimmy Carter in 1946, and they were married for 77 years. As First Lady, she was an active part of the administration, serving as the president's personal emissary to Latin American countries and even sitting in on cabinet meetings. She focused her advocacy on performing arts 
and improving mental health programs. I'm Mark Mayfield. The I-10 freeway in California is now back open. L.A. Mayor Karen Bass posted last night a welcome message back to L.A. residents. Five lanes in each direction were made available last night to help reduce the disruption during the Monday morning drive. More than 250 people worked on that section of the freeway 24 hours a day after a fire last Saturday. The Fulton County District Attorney is requesting an August 5th start date for the trial of former President Trump in the Georgia election interference case. Brian Shook has more. Willis said in a court filing that the date balances potential delays from Trump's other trials as well as the other defendants' constitutional speedy trial rights. Trump's lawyers said in their court filing that the former president wants to present oral arguments in opposition to the motion. Trump has continued to push for his various trials to be delayed until after the 2024 election. I'm Brian Shook. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN. It's 35 minutes past the hour. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. Hello, I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. Paul is well known for his many journeys. We might imagine the Apostle to the Gentiles as an itinerant missionary, but that would be only part of the picture. Paul's custom was to remain in a single place for extended periods of time, using that place as a kind of base of operations. He would dispatch trusted associates like Timothy and Titus to represent him in other places. On his second journey, for example, Paul used Corinth in this way, spending a year and a half there and writing at least one letter to the church in Thessalonica from Corinth. On his third journey, Paul used the great city of Ephesus in the same way, and from that city, He wrote to the Corinthians, to the people in Philippi, and possibly also the Christians in Colossae and Galatia. After his work in the eastern provinces of Rome, Paul planned to preach in the western provinces, notably Spain, and this time his base of operations would be Rome itself. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Bear Wozniak. You know him from Deep Adventure Radio. You may know him also from his book that just came out, 12 Rules for Manliness, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone? Bear, good morning. Good morning, Aloha. Hey, I should let you know we're, we're on our boat, the spirit of adventure down in the Virgin Islands. We're just about to sail away today. We spent the night on the boat, but at the, at the docks, we're about to sail off for an adventure. All right. Sounds like a... Sounds like a good time to me. So uh, I wanted to ask you, you've got a, a saying about 
hard times and soft men that I think is worth unpacking this morning. I wonder if you could share that with us. Well, I stole it. I don't know who said it, but there's a saying, soft times make for soft men. Uh, Soft men make for tough times. Tough times make for tough men. And tough men make for soft times. It it bears repeating. Try to figure out where we are in this this, uh, continuum. Soft times make for soft men. I think we've lived through that time. And then if the soft men make for tough times, I think that's where we are right now. But then it goes on to say tough times make for tough men, and tough men make for soft times. So I don't know who said this, but I think it's so well stated that we're, I think we're in a time when life is just really soft, and it's, it's helped men become soft. I remember reading a, a Abraham Lincoln once uh, asked someone about, he was asking about promoting someone, and the guy, the, the person's response is, well, he's really good under pressure. He, he can handle adversity. And then Abraham Lincoln asked, well, how is he when things are easy? And, uh, and so I think we're really in that place now. I mean, if you really want to compare yourself to how tough, uh, uh, how tough life is for us, we do have running water. You know, we do have, we do have indoor plumbing. Uh, you know, for the most part, it's the easiest any of us have ever lived, even if we're in America, especially, even if we're not uh, doing that well, uh, soft times. And so I see, do you think you see a lot of soft men out there? Yeah, I mean, this is, I I can't help but think as you're mentioning this of, uh, I believe it was Bill Burr on the Peyton and Eli Manning commentary about football. And, you know, this this trend of people watching athletes and talking about how so and so is a terrible player and so and so is no good at quarterback and all this stuff and Bill Burr asked these guys he's like does it bother you that so many unathletic people are telling you <laughs> that you can't play football uh, when these guys could absolutely just crush you in the backyard but I, I was yeah. also reminded right. of a of a quote from G.K. Chesterton and it's in his book Heretics. And um, I remember it struck me the first time I read it. Um, it says that there's uh, kind of three stages in the life of a, of a people. First, they're a small power, and they fight other small powers. Then they're a great power, and they fight great powers. But then they're a great power that gets kind of soft, and they fight small powers, but pretends that they are great powers in order to kind of rekindle the old flame <laughs> of of their wow. ancient emotion and, and all that. And yeah. I, sometimes I wonder if that's... That's part of the problem here too, is that we've taken stuff that is not that big of a deal and turned it in these, you know, into these like major life crises yeah. as a way to try and give ourselves emotional yeah. about something at least. Well, you know, I, you know. Also, um, I think I, I think there's been this feminization of our culture, you know, uh, where men men tend to confront things more head on, uh, but that's not the case anymore. We. We we we've sissified our, ourselves. We we uh, cancel culture. We gossip. We talk bad. We take offense. Uh, and like the example that you used about complaining that this guy doesn't know how to play football, we it, it's kind of not the manly way to do things. If a man has a problem with another man, he usually goes and confronts him. He doesn't talk bad about him and gossip about him. <laughs> There's one thing really cool though. You know how the Holy Spirit just kind of presents you with really cool things sometimes when you're reading through great books. And I was. Just happened to be reading Augustine, and he has this quote that I think is so perfect. Um, St. Augustine said, you know, isn't he always feeling the best lines before you can even write them? You know, he plagiarizes me all the time. But St. Augustine said, bad times 
hard times. This is what people keep saying. So even back then, and they were really hard times, actually, but he said, bad times, hard times. This is what people keep saying. But let us live well, and times shall be good. We are the times, such as we are, such are the times. And so instead of looking at the macro and how the condition of America or the condition of the world, just look at your own kuleana, the realm that God has given you stewardship over, and live that well. I mean, I, you can yell at the evening news all you want, but what about taking your, 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 your kids uh, to the park or, or, or taking them to mass or coaching a little league team or being a coach, being a coach for a you know, high school team or, or, or teaching catechism or running for a school board? Uh, how about cherishing your wife and cherishing uh, your family, the people in your life? Uh, and the way you do that as a man is you pursue the true good through self-donation. So, so what that all the, all that's going around us in the macro, we don't we can't impact. But in our own individual life, the kuleana that God's given us, we can take great stewardship, and so we can live that. But let us live well, and time shall be good. We are the time, such as we are, such are the time. Well, I can only call out people like myself because I don't have uh, I don't have much insight into why other people do terrible things right I can only I only know what my right. own temptations and vices are but I can say yeah. that if I'm not careful I'll spend all my time talking and theorizing about theology and commenting on the internet and not be involved in my parish like this is like a massive temptation for Gen Xers and millennial men to grow big beards and go on the internet and spend all day commenting on theology and politics and then never do anything like I'm like if you're spending all your time on the internet, how can you do any of these things that you're talking about? Yeah, or you know, you know, I hear somebody say, "Well, uh, society has marginalized us. You know, there's no role for us in the church. Uh, they make fun of us." And I, that's just a victim mentality. It's you know, if that's happening, it's because we're letting it happen. We need as men to be relevant and, and step into the phrase. And there's a word in Hawaiian. It's the word inua that my wife loves and always tells me to. To stay. It means not just strength, but it means strength moving forward. So to have fortitude, but more than that, not just to make a stand, but to move forward uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, push forward, make progress. We have people right now on, uh, on the boat. I don't know what they're doing. People have just gotten on the boat. But, yeah, we need to have strength moving forward uh, and be determined. And, may, and such, as the, such as we live, such will our, our times will be good. Well, this is, uh, I mean, to go back to the whole unathletic people, you know, telling athletes that they're not athletic, <laughs> you know, I think also yeah. we get into a critique mentality and uh, people will go to all kinds of trouble to make a podcast talking about what they don't like about the world while never creating yeah. anything to put into it, right? The the courageous person creates the coward critiques all day, every day, yeah. <laughs> right? You can, you can just tear down all you want. That, to me, that's a very effeminate man. A man who complains and tears down. A, a real man builds. A real man makes a difference. A, a man builds. Jesus was a builder. He was a technon, right? He built. He built a, He built uh, things with his dad, and he built the church. But a real man builds. He, he, leaves a, he leaves an impression in other people's lives, and he, and he leaves a legacy behind him of, of a life well-lived and, and a positive impact on people's lives. So, yeah, we need to, we need to not... We need to stop yelling at the TV and complaining about everybody else. When you hear yourself do that, you have to realize you're acting like a sissy. Just, yeah. just man up, 
and uh, do what needs to be done. Even if you get no recognition with it until Especially years then. after you're that's dead. The <laughs> Especially that's, then. <laughs> that's, right? the be- that's the best way. You don't need the recognition, but you do, after you're dead, know, want to know that, that there's people whose lives are changed for the better because it. Because you took those talents, right, and you let them grow, like we heard in the gospel from this from this weekend. Well, we've got your book, uh, Bear, yeah. linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Aloha. Bye now. All right. Stephanie Mann joins us next. It's 14 till. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian Prayer Series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hi, this is Mike Aquilino with a few words about St. Irenaeus. It's only recently that Pope Francis has declared him to be a doctor of the church. And this is unusual because he's been dead for many centuries, almost two millennia. But I think he's a man for our time because he's teaching us to think, to have an educated faith, to know the reasons for what we believe, and then present those to a skeptical world. On the next More to Life, all stressed up for the holidays. Worried about holiday get-togethers? We'll help you find your peace. That's later today on More to Life. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 Till, here's Anna with headlines. Former First Lady Rosalind Carter, the wife of Jimmy Carter, our nation's 39th president, has died. She was 96 years old. Pope Francis plans to meet with families of Israelis being held hostage, as well as with families of Palestinians who are in Gaza on Wednesday this week. And the Holy Father yesterday celebrated Mass for the World Day of the Poor. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Stephanie Mann. You can read her blog over at supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. Good morning, Stephanie. Good morning, Anna. Hey, so since we've been asking all our regulars, what's your job at Thanksgiving? Were you prepared Uh for this? (laughs) 
Oh, my job at Thanksgiving? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm driving my sister so she can see her daughter and, oh. and grandchildren. So that's that's part of the job. And then I think I'm in charge of uh, keeping the peace. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> by keeping my mouth shut most of the time. <laughs> that's fantastic. That is an important job to have. That is for sure. So you have a, a very helpful primer at the top of your blog yes. post uh, uh-huh. this week for uh, Father Henry Sebastian Bowden's mementos of the English martyrs and confessors, um, talking about two second chance confessors this week. But anyway, this this little primer. So the Tudor dynasty lasted from Henry the Seventh through Elizabeth the First. Five monarchs mm-hmm. uh, starting in eight uh, eighteen. 1485, when Henry the Seventh managed to find some unity, um, as it were, after the War of mm-hmm. the Roses, until the death of Elizabeth the First in 1603. So that's almost very good. A yes. hun- thank you, thank you. Almost 150 years worth of tutors, and from a religious standpoint, that was a rather yeah. head-spinning 150 years or so. Yes, luckily, not many people lived 150 years. But if someone did, they'd go from being Catholic to being pseudo-Catholic, to being Calvinist, to being Catholic, to being Anglican. I mean, it, it, yeah. it would just be a whirlwind. The mass would be in, the mass would be out, the mass would be in, the mass would be out, and so just things like that would be so confusing. But and and we also have to remember that kind of the crux though of much of the discussion of the English Reformation comes down to who has the authority mm-hmm. over spiritual matters and of course for centuries and centuries after in the Catholic Church the Pope and the bishops have had the authority over spiritual matters and what the monarch what what Henry VIII said in, in place is the monarch having the control over the spiritual matters the only one who who didn't actually claim this authority was Mary the first. She did not take the title of Supreme head of head or governor of the church in England. She left that to the Pope and to his representative, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Richard Reginald Pole. So yes, that is one of the things is the matter of authority and what these two men, uh, Bishop uh, Cuthbert Tunstall and Bishop Richard Pate demonstrate in their careers is that they had different reactions to what that, what that change in authority meant. Tun went along with it for a while, and Pate didn't really for, I mean, he, he uh, was in uh, Henry VIII's uh, ambassadorship in, in Spain, and he showed signs that he me- immediately saw the difficulty with this change in the authority structure of the church. And And it is a really interesting question, like how far... Um, when you when you put yourself in these times, I mean, it's easy to to look back on it mm-hmm. now from from our standpoint, where where we really um, have a, a great degree of of religious freedom and and can look to mm-hmm. the Pope and enjoy the enjoy the authority. Um, but when you're a bishop in this time, where it's going back and forth and back and forth with all this whiplash. You really have to decide how important that that matter of authority is for you. Yes, and I thought when you bringing that up, that that the quotes that that uh, Father Bout gives us about Bishop Tunstall uh, uh, focusing on Saint Thomas More and Reginald Pole, 
because he he and Moore were friends. They knew each other. Of course, Moore stood for the unity of the Catholic Church. Tunstall took the oath of supremacy. And when he wrote a letter to uh, Reginald Pohl, Pohl replied that uh, your friends Fisher and Moore were not of so vile a mind as to not know why they died. Mm. God send you a livelier spirit in his honor. Wow. Because uh, Tunstall said, well, maybe it isn't worth dying for. The un- basically saying the unity of the church is not worth dying for. Maybe it's all right to have the, the secular monarch in charge of the spiritual matters of the church. I don't know. And so that was Pohl's reply to him. And I thought that was uh, an interesting uh quote that that uh, bishop uh, that father uh, bowden found uh, to put in that that section on on uh, tunstall could you imagine standing firm or wavering that was the question yeah and can you imagine receiving that reply from a man who's in exile <laughs> who um so what changed for them what I, what changed particularly for uh, Tunstall was he saw the changes that came when another monarch came in, uh, Edward VI, who was actually a minor. But the changes that were coming to the church were definitely Calvinist. The mass, the ch- priesthood, the whole system of of salvation, the whole you know definition of salvation, all that doctrine was changing. And then he realized I cannot, as a bishop and as an ordinary support this so he ended up in prison during edward the sixth reign and then so that that was what changed it for him for richard pate again he seems to be a little bit different his it seemed to him that i think what he realized was the injustice being done to the princess mary because when he was at at uh, charles v's court in spain the uh, future holy roman empire emperor he opposed the changes that were being made to the succession. And of course, that's the whole purpose of Henry VIII's reformation was the succession. And so he was in danger. And so he went to Rome immediately and was reconciled to the church and actually participated in the council of Trent. So he did take a little bit different path, but that was, is just interesting that his was not so much the doctrinal, but maybe realizing this man has so much power. Now he can make and destroy lives as he has, as, as he was doing. And maybe he, that's why he saw it. We don't get kind of the, that much insight from from Father Bowden, and I couldn't find it that much more uh, in other research. But it seems like that was kind of the issue there: is the injustice that was being done, people's yeah. lives being turned upside down, Absolutely. too much power in one man's hand. Way, way too much power in one man's hand. We've been talking to Stephanie Mann. You can find her blog linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Pick up a copy of her book through there, Supremacy and Survival. And we have been going through Father Henry Sebastian Bowden's Mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors, which you can find through Sophia Institute Press and also linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Stephanie, thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. And to you as well. Thank you very much. All right, that'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, EWTN. Until then, may God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.